Hey, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Cyto Detox. Look, podcasts cost money. There's a lot of production uh, going around this, but uh, we are grateful to have Cyto Detox as one of the sponsors. It's so easy for me to talk about the product because myself and my family use it constantly as we practice what I preach for over 15 years. I've talked about and taught doctors and the public about cellular detox. And I'll tell you, Cyto was a breakthrough. Cyto was a breakthrough for us. Um, and it's changed so many lives. So we're grateful that they sponsor Cellular Healing TV. It makes sense, doesn't it? They should. If you're listening to this podcast and want to access the amazing Cyto Detox product Dr. Pompa just mentioned, please visit detoxoffer.com. Again, that's detoxoffer.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cellular Healing TV. I'm Ashley Smith, and today we welcome Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, a functional medical doctor who is here to speak with us about neurotransmitters. These neurochemicals are associated with mood, cravings for sugar and alcohol, food issues like binge eating, and we'll hear all about the consequences of poor neurotransmitter function, low dopamine and serotonin depletion, and of course, what to do about it. So let's get started and welcome Dr. Anne-Marie and of course, Dr. Pampa. Welcome both of you. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, listen, Anne-Marie, thank you for being here. But I love honing in on this topic. I really do because, uh, look, I was there, right? I mean, I had... Uh, dopamine, serotonin off, didn't know why. And when these two neurotransmitters go off, you think you're crazy. And a lot of times you are, but there's things we can do about it. Uh, so I have to start here though. Like, you know, this is kind of your thing, right? Focusing on, you know, these two neurotransmitters that really direct our life. How'd you end up here? Like, how did this end up to be your area of expertise? I mean, I think we all end up in an area because of our own personal struggles, right? And um, for me, I remember being in practice and really seeing that folks would come in and they say, you know, doc, I want to get better. I want to get healthier. And, and I would give them an elimination diet at the time. That's how I would. That's how I worked initially in practice and all on board. They would go home. They'd come back you know, as we would do a follow-up check-in, how are things going? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I really want to do the diet. I just, I'm busy. I just, I just can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't stay away from sugar. I really needed to have the process. I feel so depressed. It was just a litany of things. And they would look at me and they would say, do you think that this is a willpower issue? And I remember initially thinking, yeah, this is a willpower issue because that's all we knew. That's all we were taught. That you got to do, you got to try harder. You got to work better. You, you, you've got to be better, you know, and we just always think we're falling short and we're failing. And then of course that perpetuates the cycle. So then I, <laughs> I realized I had that moment, which is, I think we're, we're handed that because we need to help the folks that are in front of us. And my commute increased about 10 minutes. So it ended up to be about an hour long each way. So I was in the car for about two hours. And I remember stopping at Whole Foods and really wanting a chocolate chip cookie. Every, it was like, it was like white on rice. I just could not, <laughs> I could not stop myself 
from pulling over and really needing a chocolate chip cookie. And it was the only way that I could make it through the rest of the day. And I think I finally understood what the folks around me were talking about. And a long story short, it progressed because, you know, I would stop every day and I would get sugar and the addiction progressed. I remember coming into my office. I'm very passionate about what I do and I love it. And I I feel so grateful to be able to do this and to help people um, better their lives. But I remember one day coming in and sitting in my office being like, I can't, I can't get up. I can't, I'm not motivated. And um, I'm like, this sure looks like a dopamine deficiency. I took a dopamine precursor and 10 minutes later, I was like, bing, and I was on again. And I realized what was finally going on with me. And the reason my dopamine had depleted so much was when I moved, when my commute had increased, because I thought the stress was higher, it was actually associated with mold in the house that I was living in. Uh, Yes, exactly. Which is what happened to me, right? Of course, I was like, gosh, you know, I knew all these chemicals were off, but mine ended up to be mercury. And I can tell you, um, I see people all over the world, um, you know, that mold, heavy metals, hidden infections. Yes, they affect every hormone, including neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. Okay, so let's start there, though, right? Like I said, I mean, there's some things we can do here even take the precursors of some of these things to, you know, especially while we're looking upstream for the cause to really change, you know, we need to function. All right, but let's start here. Dopamine. I mean, some people are going, okay, dopamine, what does it do? So let's start with what does dopamine do? And then we'll talk about, you know, what symptoms are of low dopamine. Yeah. So dopamine is a hedonistic neurotransmitter. This is why people partake in things that they know are quote unquote bad, right? So you get a dopamine dump, um, for example, when you will run for a hundred miles or you'll get a dopamine dump when you do cocaine. Um, You get a dopamine dump a lot of times, but dopamine is running a lot of chemicals in your body. It's upstream from your adrenal gland. It also shares a pathway with your fight or flight chemicals known as epinephrine and norepinephrine. So it basically is um, a really important neurotransmitter for the adrenal glands, which ultimately the adrenal glands are upstream from your hormones. So it's really, really important in so looking at dopamine, adrenals, hormones. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And so a lot of people will just run this pathway into the ground. Like this is your type A focused person that is like, I'm on it. And these are the people that are like, oh, I'll do the group project. I'll do it all. I'll do everything. And they're just, they have higher than normal levels of dopamine and they push through this until they break and they're exhausted and they can't run that dopamine pathway anymore. And they don't know why they can't focus. And then they don't know why they have lack of motivation. And so Dopamine is in, you know, every system of our body. They all have dopamine receptors. So dopamine is huge. It's a, it's just a, such an important neurotransmitter that does a lot of things. I think that we don't even know yet because um, it hasn't been heavily studied, but it's a huge reason 
we crave sugar. Mm, exactly. All right. So you got a lot of people's attention right now and you just answered part of the next question. What are some of the symptoms of low dopamine? You know, and you, you kind of even went into some of the causative factor of low dopamine. And I can say a lot of people are, they're a little downstream going, gosh, my adrenals are shot. My adrenals are shot. In fact, this could be a higher level dopamine problem. Okay. So, um, what some are there other symptoms of low dopamine sugar cravings being one yeah so um sugar cravings are huge caffeine cravings are a pretty big dopamine deficiency uh something that i i will generally see is someone will feel worthless um they'll feel a lack of motivation they'll put tasks off um, they don't feel rested after long hours of sleep. A lot of times the symptoms of ADD, ADHD, not being able to focus, squirrel, that kind of, that kind of behavior is associated with lower dopamine symptoms. And so what I can hear folks saying is, well, I mean, I just, I just like coffee. I mean, I don't have a dopamine depletion. I, I just really like coffee. You don't have to have all the symptoms and you don't have to feel hopeless and worthless to have a dopamine deficiency. But if you were once like really upbeat, really motivated, and now you feel a little bit more like Eeyore, guess what? Your dopamine levels have actually depleted. And I can say on the testing that I run, I would say about 90% of people have a dopamine depletion. Wow. That's a big, that's a huge number, right? I mean, I could, you know, I, I, I guess again, people would say, you know, so many people have adrenal fatigue, thyroid problems, but dopamine could be the upstream causative factor. Okay. Well then that, that kind of leads right into causes. I mean, okay. You said type A personalities, people doing too much. You even said mold. So maybe, you know, are there other causative factors? And I want to know, what, how you feel mold or neurotoxins, because that's my area of expertise, how that causes dopamine depletion. Yeah, so on a lot of the molds that we see, for example, in water damage buildings, you know, um, when I say mold, a lot of people are like, oh, well, I mean, I did see something growing on the side of my shower. I'm not talking about that guys. Yeah, that's mildew and that yeah. could be a problem. But more what I'm talking about is black mold growing up a drywall. Yeah, black, and you don't see it typically. And you don't yeah. see it, isn't it? Or, or my other favorite misconception about this is, but my house is so clean. Like people have equated that they are a dirty person and that, or, or dirty people only have mold. Like that is absolutely a hundred percent untrue. Yeah. So mold directly depletes dopamine. It's one of the things that it goes after because it causes a lot of inflammation in the brain because the neurotransmitters are made in the brain, right? And then they're stored and they're stored in the gut, right? And so ultimately it depends on how the mold is getting into your system. If you're breathing it in, you know, we have a pathway to the brain creating inflammation. If we are eating the mold, because that can happen. And there was a crazy study that I want to um, just cover. There was, um, there was, gosh, I, I think 
there were, it was a couple different states. It was done by the World Health Organization, maybe like six different states where the, this food was shipped in and all of these kids started getting sick. They were breakfast burritos. And so the World Health Organization started piecing it apart to say, okay, what, what was added into these foods to make these kids so sick? Was it salmonella? I mean, and when you're thinking about nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, the immediate first thought is, wow, it had to be bacterial, right? I mean, that, that would have been my thought, food poisoning of some sort. Anyway, they pieced it apart and they said, okay, the fillings of a lot of these different places came from different sources. Some had eggs, some didn't. Okay, so the thing that they found in common was the tortillas. The tortillas were what were found in common. And they actually found that it had a mold on the tortilla that was making 50% 50% from an acute exposure of these kids sick, having diarrhea and nausea. Well, mold is a living tissue, like it's living, right? It's And so you don't just eat mold. I think a lot of people think, oh, I was exposed to mold, it's dead. Well, so that can live in your gastrointestinal tract. So if that lives, then think about how that's competing with the neurotransmitters that are stored there. Are you going to be able to make those? Are you gonna have happy gut bacteria to be able to make, make those? So um, directly mold creates that inflammation that ends up going after that and creates a toxic byproduct. And one of the, since I talk about this a lot, um, I will get calls and people are like, I heard you talk. I have neurotransmitter deficiency. I'm like, all right, let's run the test. Mm. No, I, I have it. I just want you to treat me. No, we need to run the test because I, you know, whenever someone pushes for it, I know that something else has to be there. And what we tend to see is we see high levels of brain inflammation that make it appear like they have dopamine deficiency or neurotransmitter uh, deficiency generally coming from mold. So mold also, if it doesn't drop it necessarily, like black mold will drop dopamine levels, but if it doesn't, it makes you feel like you have low dopamine. So, um, so that's, you know, so mold really covers a lot there. The other thing that I think is so important to look at is gut. Gut infections are critical to look at. Since neurotransmitters are stored there, if you don't have the proper gut microbiome, you're not going to be able to house these, these uh, basically neurochemicals, right? You're gonna get depleted. And what else is gonna go on? If you don't have the right gut microbiome, guess what? You're not gonna be absorbing your micronutrients that you actually need for the precursors of dopamine, which are also gonna lead to nutritional deficiencies, right? And so um, I get asked a lot, you know, do you just, go in. So for example, some of the, the cofactors for dopamine, um, we think of B vitamins, we think of, we think of magnesium, we think of, you know, some of these other things that are really important to run the pathway. And then we also think about at, at the juncture of the pathway, we need SAMe as well, uh, potentially to run this pathway, right? And so looking at this, folks are like, well, don't you just give B vitamins or don't you just give that first? I don't because I find most people have an H. pylori infection, a hidden H. pylori infection. And I also find that a lot of my folks cannot, 
get enough iron a lot of times. So I see a lot of iron depleted folks as well as um, B vitamins. And so um, I find if I give that initially, I feed the H. pylori infection, especially if it's new, and I create a stronger H. pylori infection that is tougher for me to get rid of. So, um, so I think you have to look at the microbiome and also what's going on with those nutrient deficiencies. So that's something else that I think is important to look at. Um, so I covered a lot there. I don't know if you have any, any if you want to stop me before I go on. <laughs> There's a lot to unfold. So you started into the precursors, uh, you know, some of the things we can take. Um, but you were saying, okay, great, B vitamins, um, SAMe, which these are things that help methylation as well. Mm -hmm. Methylation is depleted by stress of any type, physical, chemical, or emotional, right? So that's another connection where, you know, these neurotoxins, emotional stress will deplete dopamine. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of it stored there, made there. The precursors, um, you know, are made in the gut, even for dopamine. So the gut plays a connection. Okay, you started to uh, say where you started. You started by saying, you know, infections like H. pylori sometimes need to be dealt with first before you even give the precursors. Do you want to expand upon that? So, because if I was someone listening or watching, I'd be like, okay, well, number one, how do I know if I have H. pylori, you know, or any other infection that would interfere? So what's step one, two, and three? Yeah. So what I like to do initially when someone comes in is I run um, a stool panel. I run what's called a PCR test. And that being said, you know, previous stool testing was, okay, let's look under a microscope. Is there a parasite? No. Okay. You don't have a parasite. So that means that on that stool test at that time, you actually had to see, you know, whatever infection. Now what we have that is now become the gold standard in literature, which I think is so amazing. And I think it's finally gonna, you know, take hold, which is great, is we are looking for byproducts of these pathogens or DNA. So we don't have some of these critters and then we can know if they're in your gut. So my first step is to run a stool test. And in about 60% of people, there is actually an H. pylori infection. I know you talk about thyroid a lot. It's been linked, you know, because, you know, H. pylori is going to change, for example, um, your pH in your stomach. And H. pylori is nasty. When it really grows out of control, it can create ulcers. It can also create stomach cancer. Um, and so, but the first thing that it does is our stomach is a major line of defense into the rest of our body. So if you go out to dinner and someone's been back there doing who knows what with your food and it's been sitting out for a while and it's the meat's been mishandled. And let's say some bacteria grew on it or there was a parasitic infection in your sushi. I don't know, you know, or a parasite in your sushi, whatever the case may be your stomach should have enough acidity to be able right. to get rid of those critters. And so it should be this wonderful line of defense, right? If you have an H. pylori infection, it makes you more alkaline. And so, so then you, you, then these, the, your new friends can set up shop. Right. <laughs> and I'm, so 
go ahead. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. I mean, then you have a multiple infections now, you know, that start to, uh, you know, take hold. What, what are some of your favorite ways to treat H. pylori? Um, I, it depends. So I have a really hard time getting rid of it. Um, I have to dose high and I have to rotate herbs. I use mastic gum a lot. Um, and I will use it, um, pretty, pretty, um, high. I actually use, um, I will rotate in an apex, um, herb called HPLR. Um, so I'll rotate that in, um, as well. And then I will stop the replication of it. Um, Cause generally what we find is that we have with an H pylori infection that I found on stool tests. I also find that I have a high generally staph strep and bacillus infection as well as opportunistic. And so these guys have been in the small intestine. And so what, um, so I basically do something um, called SIBO support, um, which is oregano. Um, it's got organ grape, turmeric and ginger, which we've also seen in the literature stops the replication of H. pylori. And then I also use pancreatic enzymes to dissolve the biofilm layer. So um, it takes me uh, it takes me a little bit of time to get rid of it, uh, generally about three months um, to completely get it gone. But people's symptoms are generally gone within a month. Um, There's a strategy, um, you, I don't you know if you're familiar with bacteria, phage. Phage, these things are like little Martians. I mean, literally, mm -hmm. they act like viruses in that they, they'll go in and uh, specific phage attack specific bacteria. Now, right now, there's not a uh, H. pylori phage yet. I'm sure they are, there are, we just haven't isolated them. But you can use E. coli phage. And oh, yeah. E. coli is so powerful in the gut. And everyone has some level of it. Mm -hmm. But just like um, H. pylori, when it raises up, it causes a lot of mischief. But if you lower E. coli, you raise up a lot of bacteria. Um, if, if, you know, when you, by lowering E. coli, all these other guys have an opportunity to come out that attack H. pylori. So there's an, another strategy. Um, I'll have Ashley put, there's a product, it's called EC. It's, it's straight up bacteriophage. Cool. So you can rid some of these other really complicated, hard to get rid of infections just by lowering E. coli. You know, e, yeah. And what I was going to say, the other thing that I've seen more recently too in the literature is... Um, Lactobacillus and bifido um, species actually keep it um, at a at a lower level. So what I've seen is if someone can just do one thing, um, a lot of times their symptoms will calm down just by doing the lactobacillus, and you actually will get rid of the um, the factors that are a lot more toxic, uh, the virulence factors with it, which I've I thought is really quite cool. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, cool. It like is. that. You're right. It's you have to rotate killers. Mm -hmm. you know, um, mastic gum, I think, is you know a great place to start. But when you rotate, because bacteria, they're clever, and you they have to clever ways. So one of the things I do is month one, month two, month three. To your point, three months in changing things along the way. So, exactly. You know, I mean, you can even use like killers, like just simple neem, which is mm -hmm. antibacterial, good for SIBO and other things. But just like you know, SIBO, you have these very, you know, smart bacteria that hide in biofilms and you have to break that down. You know, H. H. pylori is similar. 
So, you know, I mean, okay, so here we go. Then what, you know, once we are treating that, then we step into giving these precursors, right? Um, and you, again, just in review, some B vitamins, as you mentioned, SAMe, um, uh, you mentioned, um, I thought you mentioned another one, what was it? Uh, I think I said magnesium and I don't know if I mentioned copper. Yeah, I don't no. think I mentioned copper yet either, but copper is another one. Oh yeah. Okay. Copper. I didn't know that. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. copper, you know, obviously has its, its role. Copper can also become toxic. So you have to be a little bit careful with that happened to me, <laughs> but, um, okay. So the precursors, is there a product you like that contain all the precursors or you put them together? I actually test individually. So just to your point, like about copper, I've actually not seen people generally copper deficient. And so I'm really careful about giving any sort of metals as it relates to copper, iron, for example, because you can really, yeah. that that is so toxic in the system. So I'm really careful with that. Um, it really depends on what someone has on testing. I actually like, um, if I'm using a multi uh, product, like a liquid, I'll use Quicksilver's B. Mm -hmm. um, if I am, which is a multitude of different Bs, if I see them really deficient, a lot of folks are just deficient in just a couple. And so I don't like to push the pathway too much. So I'll give them individually, and then I'll give a low dose of all of them to methylate. And I am so careful with Sammy. They have to have a low functioning what's called a COMT gene yeah. um, in order for me to give it. And I watch it. SAMe is a prescription med in most other countries. It's very, very heavily regulated. So um, if I see somebody that has a low functioning COMT gene, and let me just give you who this person is, um, just so you have an idea. Um, this person is driven their A-type personality, just kind of like what I've talked about before. They are the person that was always in charge on group projects. They did the whole group project themselves. They don't know when to stop and they don't know how to turn it off until they burn out. And so with this one, what I like to do to treat this first is I use magnesium and leafy greens first to try to treat and make sure their B vitamins are good. If it doesn't work, I monitor SAMe and I literally give SAMe for the first week every other day, the second week, twice that week, the third week, once, and then I wean them. So I'm like really, really um, cautious and I monitor their symptoms and I see them quite frequently when I'm doing the SAMe piece. And if they get weepy, if they get upset, then I know that I have overmethylated them <laughs> in a big way. Um, or, you know, if their personality changes, I just want them to be more effective and not anxious. Um, so that's that's when I would use Sammy, but what? be careful with it. You know, it's the methylation cycle. I mean, there's like, I think there's 18 different places where it can go wrong. When you support the whole cycle, you get less of those reactions. You're right, but just giving SAMe, uh, you can throw the cycle off so many other places. But if you support it with the whole cycle, and SAMe is one of the things in there, then it, it seems to balance it. You know, you can get away with SAMe when you balance the whole thing. It's very complicated, you know, cycle. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at it, you go, oh my gosh, people for methylation are just taking B12 and folic acid. It can do the same thing, it can make people worse for multiple reasons. Uh, and it does. 
it yeah, does. It does. But when you support it all, it's like, the, it, it, I don't know. It's like if they don't need it, the cycle doesn't need it, it would be shuffled off. But when you force the cycle in one direction, man. Mm -hmm. you, I think you can do that short term, but you have to watch them. And yeah. if you don't watch them, then things really start to get out of balance. But yeah, you. but the Sammy, I think is the biggest what I have seen, it's the biggest one that really, you cannot stand the method. That's just been my opinion. Yeah, no. So that's uh, good advice. All right. So let's, let's, uh, let's move to serotonin because that's another big one. Right. And again, with all the people, the gut problems, we know that uh, there are certain peptides uh, in the gut, amino acids in the gut that make serotonin. So we know gut problems lead to serotonin, but let's start. What is the function of serotonin in our bodies and what happens when it's off? Serotonin, I think, is most known to be a mood regulator. Another really important um, function of serotonin is to move food through the gut. So it, it works with something called peristalsis of the gut. And that's how we just slowly move food through. Um, serotonin is just all about making us feel happy and joyful and connected. And so there are a lot of ways to increase actually serotonin. We'll get into that in just a minute. But serotonin is, I think, a really important neurochemical. It's the one we hear the most about. The things that I think are interesting that most people don't know about serotonin is um, low serotonin can be associated with fibromyalgia. Um, so your, the increase in your pain in your body is a lot more. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting is, um, OCD is another one with serotonin, um, issues, um, imbalances. So I think it's super interesting to see that. And with high serotonin, something else, um, that I found really interesting is shyness, extreme fear of being disliked and shyness. Is, is high serotonin levels. So anyway, but serotonin is, I think, most important uh, mood. And I think that that's what we see with the traditional type of depression where somebody doesn't like those hobbies that they once liked. They don't feel connected to their family or to their loved ones like they once did. It's kind of that traditional, you want to sit on the couch and eat bonbons and um, you just feel like you're losing your interest in life but a lot of times it's just much slower the other thing that's really important for serotonin in the body is hormone regulation so one of the biggest things is um, if a woman has pms or pmdd um, so in either that is right before um, her period or also like the entire month before that tends actually, that can be associated with low serotonin levels. So that's going to actually regulate that hormone system for women. So serotonin also has a lot of important functions um, in the body. It also regulates our eating. Um, and so uh, and we'll get into a couple studies with this if, if you want to. Um, but one of the things that we see in the rat studies is that rats like to eat more when it's dark outside. So they tend to eat more. They tend to overeat when it's dark outside because serotonin is stimulated by light. And so um, that's why people get a lot more depressed in the winter months 
they have a condition called SAD or seasonal affective disorder in the winter months because they're not seeing that sunlight and that sunlight isn't hitting their eyes and they're not making the serotonin. So one great way to make, you know, some of these neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine is food and binge eating. And so, um, and you can kind of get into some of the eating dysregulation with that, which is actually quite common. But one of the saddest things I've seen with that has been um, binge eating is associated with both low serotonin and dopamine and some other neurochemicals. Uh, but what ends up happening is the only time these folks that are in a binge feel normal is when they're actually binging. That is the only time their neurochemicals are actually at a normal level where most people are experiencing. And so that they have to be in a binge, which is just tragic. It's tragic. Keep going back for the hit because you just want to feel normal and you feel your best at that. So therefore it creates that. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So, I mean, can sunlight then be part of the strategy? Sunlight, sunlight should be part of the strategy with both serotonin and dopamine. It should be really, it, it really should be because um, both of those are important um, for creating those neurochemicals. Yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously the gut plays a big role here because the shikame pathway where you make, you know, the, you know, the, the precursors to serotonin. Um, and I think because of chronic gut issues, because of toxicity issues, we have a world, I don't know the percentage of people on these drugs that ser called serotonin uptake inhibitors, which raise your serotonin levels at the cost of your even further. But I mean, how many people are on these drugs? Matter of fact, many people listening to right now don't even probably know they're on one of those drugs. So what are some of those drugs and oh, how I do people come off of them? Okay, we just you know do some of these natural things. We're going to get into pollution, but what are some of the drugs that people be like? Oh my gosh, I'm on one of those. Oh my gosh, I am not even going to be able to come up with all the names of like the. Um, but uh, they are the big one is Zoloft yeah. is the biggest one, and then they've got a lot of <laughs> side note names, which is just not my jam. But some type of antidepressant or something, mm -hmm. mood or anxiety. Most likely, you're you're probably on a serotonin uptake inhibitor, which you know that can be a long-term issue. That's almost always the first line of defense when you have some sort of mood disorder. Before they get into well, butrin, antipsychotics, etc., it tends to be the first line of defense. Um, but yeah, the the biggest thing that I see with those um, is. People just don't actually, they might feel happy for a time or it might get them through a time, but they never feel happy. They're kind of flat. And so what you see is they never get sad, super sad about anything, but they never feel super happy. And the thing that most people don't know about, you know, SSRIs is kind of the slang term for them, um, is that they basically don't raise your serotonin levels. There's been some people seem to think that I, when I, when I talk to patients, I'm like, no, just something is going to sit in the, in, in basically the 
reuptake and you just don't, you just have that same level of serotonin floating around. So you're never really fixing that pathway. You're just kind of putting a bandaid on a bullet hole. And so it's, so you're never really going to be happy. You're just going to kind of be flat. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the, hence the name serotonin uptake inhibitor. Yeah. Preventing the uptake, the reabsorption, recreation of it. But again, we're saying we know better, right? Mm-hmm. And the long-term consequences to that, and I'm not telling anyone to come off their medication. I just want to educate people that this is why these things don't work long-term. All right, so let's let's give this, you know, some solutions, right? Sun mm-hmm. being one of them. Um, I think a lot of the things that work for dopamine obviously work here. Um, but are there some different strategies we need to know? Yeah. So, um, so something really interesting about serotonin, um, that I think is, uh, pretty, pretty interesting was they studied, um, fasting with serotonin. And what they found was they looked at on Ramadan day, day one, day 19 and day 29. And in this particular study and on day Uh, Day one, they measured serotonin levels. Day 19, they realized that the serotonin levels were quite a bit higher than on day one. And then on day 29, they were higher than they were on day 19. So fasting is actually very powerful for, um, for serotonin. Um, But, you know, I did write a book beyond fasting, so I didn't want to but I'm like, if she doesn't say it, I'm going to talk about that. <laughs> well, there's, there's a study <laughs> on that one. So I thought that that was a really neat study where they found serotonin levels were so much higher above baseline and above where they started 29 days after. Um, another really important thing for oh, serotonin. Go ahead. Sorry. Mentioned that this weekend about that. That it's the reason of there's a premise called hormesis. Hormesis mm-hmm. is basically you get a reaction from a stress, right? If you overly stress, it becomes a negative reaction. But fasting is it, it has a hormetic uh, effect on the gut bacteria. So you have this incredible surge, and it's one way that we actually I teach doctors to fix the gut is we add this hormesis, right? This stress to the gut via fasting change the microbiome, change the production of many different neurotransmitters, uh, even hormones in the body. So a stress like fasting, pretty cool. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I think that that's just such a, such a, you know, a goal on that. Um, And I think some of the other things that are really important, diet is important. So um, foods that are rich in tryptophan, I can, that are huge for that. And we're looking at, there's, there's certain fruits, uh, vegetables and proteins and nuts and seeds that will do that. And I can send you that in the show notes. So I'm not reading a list of that. Um, and exercise is also really important for increasing serotonin levels. Um, so that's another good strategy as well. Skipping the sugar is really, really important. And so kind of what I talked about before, and um, I do want to get into a study that affects both serotonin and and dopamine. Um, But one of the major things that we see um, is there was a study done by Nestle. And so they looked at serotonin and dopamine in this study. And they saw that um, 
they wanted to compare two factors, a sedentary lifestyle and also the new, the foods hitting the shelf and what people were eating. And so what they looked at is um, in 1998, 11,000 new foods hit the grocery store shelves. And so I can just tell you that there are not that many varieties of apples and chicken and <laughs> bananas. So what was hitting the shelves? Well, it's going to be foods that are laced with sugar. And so what ended up happening was they started to realize the buying power of putting sugar in these foods so that you had a great experience. Oh my gosh, when I had that ketchup, I felt so great. That salad dressing was so amazing. And it's laced in foods that you would not think it's laced in. And so what ends up happening with that is people want to go back and they want to buy for another buying experience, which, and what I say is, you know, I quote a Guns N' Roses song. I used to do a little, but a little wouldn't do it. So the little got more and more. So when, oh, wow, I had a great experience with that ketchup or I had a great experience with that cookie. Now it becomes two. Now it becomes three. Now it becomes four to get the same sugar rush or the same dopamine and serotonin dump that you got once. And then suddenly uh, you're in a sea of Twinkies and you have wrappers floating away and you're passed out because we know that glucose increases our amount of specifically dopamine, specifically a dopamine dump over 50%, 50% above baseline. And the other thing that I think is also that kind of drives this home is there was a, they, they took two groups of rats, control group, and they, and then a, another group that was the studied group. And they measure their, their dopamine levels. This is back a little bit more to dopamine and sugar. Um, and they, they made them fast for 12 hours and they released them. And the, the group that had the rat chow, because they, they, their dopamine levels were fine. Um, and then the, the other group that had a sucrose solution or a sugar solution, they chose the sugar solution first every single time. And their levels, they went from 37 milliliters of this solution to a hundred and I think 15 over a 30 day period in each, each day they had to have a little bit more. So you start to be in a binge and serotonin and dopamine actually increase in that binge, but you need more to get the same effect and to feel good again. So and, and, and just like in a binge and somebody that has an eating disorder with a binge, they have to continue to binge to feel normal. So please don't use that as a strategy. I know you feel good initially, but it is not sustainable. So skipping sugar is really, really important for serotonin and dopamine levels. Here's one that probably, I'm gonna depress a lot of people with this one right here. You're gonna have a <laughs> serotonin hit and a dopamine hit right here. Uh, the, the negative hit is social media has become the new sugar, meaning dopamine hits. You know, I'm gonna check my Facebook, dopamine hit. I'm gonna check my email, dopamine hit, dopamine hit, right? I mean, I, it, it does the same thing. I mean, they're, they're literally calling them dopamine hits, right? I mean, it, you know, it's hard to beat that today. Well, and you see these things that are tragic, right? You see somebody that doesn't get enough social media likes and they jump off a bridge yeah. because you know, the side effects of low dopamine and this whole generation has low dopamine, yeah. worthlessness and hopelessness. Like what's a perfect, what's a perfect cocktail for suicide? So is this <laughs> one of the 
again, it's burning the, the, the pathway, right? I mean, dopamine hit dopamine, whether it's cocaine, sugar, or social media, after a period of time, dopamine hit driving sympathetic, you're left in this low position to the point of now I don't get the drug, so to speak. Now I'm jumping off a bridge. I'm committing suicide, which we're hearing with, you know, today. I mean, how do we even combat that? I mean, you're giving, you know, great things here, but if that's a cause, what the heck do we do about it? I think they need to get under care. I mean, I think that that's the biggest thing. If like you're in a position, you're like, I'm worthless, I'm hopeless. Like you need to get under care and you actually need to go through these things to be checking like, hey, like what were my exposures? Let's do, and, and pony up for the lab test because that's really important. And hey, and what is what does my stool sample look like? The bottom line is, is that we can give you things to support these levels, but you're never, you're not, that's, that's just one strategy in an overall wellness picture. So you really need to be fixing the, the underlying cause of what's causing you to be deficient. Was, wow. it that, was it that your mother ate a ton of sugar when she was pregnant with you and that created a sugar addiction? Okay, great. Well then, you know, we can do strategies to help that, but you have all these other things that are contributing to that. I know you're doing a webinar on this. Um, we'll announce when and where and how to get there. We'll, we'll make sure that the link is for that here because, you know, obviously you're exploring this much further, uh, you know, in the topic um, on the webinar. But look, you know, I mean, this is, this is a big deal when you look at today's lifestyle, right? We're looking at people avoiding the sun because they're afraid. We're looking at sugar in everything, even when you shop at Whole Foods, right? To your point, products sell. Um, I'm sure artificial sweeteners play a role here because that is a neurotoxin uh, or excitotoxin, I'm sorry, you know, of the nerve system. So we're talking about, you know, gut problems galore because of glyphosate and other chemicals. Uh, and, you know, that plays into these chemicals. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, uh, you know, Dr. Ann, I don't even know what the, you know, I and guess, I, start, right? It's, and then we talk about like nutritional deficiencies. And let's think about like the, the funny thing to me is, is this, when I, I, on my intake paperwork, I have people list the medications that they're on. And do you know what, what people don't consider a medication is birth control. Birth control is considered not a medication. I don't know why, yeah. but it's a huge nutrient deficiency, it, it, de it depletes your nutrients in such a big way. So again, like we see a lot of this on birth control that, you know, and so I think that that's another thing. And so many young people are on that and people don't even realize that that's depleting your nutrients. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, all right, let's, Back you know, up. we can go on and on, can't we? And it can be this and it can be that. <laughs> I, I feel my viewer right now going, oh my gosh, it's like, you know, okay, where do I start? So if we had to say, okay, start with these three things, right? It's like maybe, maybe there's six in the sense of maybe it's avoid these three and do these three. Let's do that. Let, let's pick them because we've mentioned probably 20 on each side. So let's do the avoid these three, do these three. And let's like tell people start there. Listen, go to Dr. Ann's webinar because then, you know, if you start these three things, you know, then you can expand, you know, from there. But okay, three avoids and three do's. I think really avoiding sugar 
is just, you know, it, it's just number one is I think the biggest thing. Here's the trouble with that. I, I don't want to poke holes in it. <laughs> Are you poking holes in my theory? <laughs> I agree with you though. Let's be but I, I, I know the problem though, but the people with the, this problem, low dopamine, low serotonin, they're the ones that are like, okay, uh, easier said than done. You know, it's like, that is my drug. You know, it's like, and so what's the strategy to help them avoid sugar? I guess we have, we have two, we have two supplements that'll help you if you're desperate. Okay. Um, one is called mood relief and that's going to help your serotonin. And it's kind of, and it also helps your um, GABA system, which we didn't talk about, which, and then the other one that we have is sugar craving support. And that one helps dopamine and serotonin. So, um, so both of those two would links for those below. Okay. Yeah. You gave them something that was good. <laughs> Cause yeah. that's hard. What's number two now? Sugar's number one. I think the second one, I really like fasting. I think fasting is very, very powerful. It's that's something that's on the do list. We're, we're still on. The oh, I'm sorry. We're on the don't. Okay. How about a do and a don't? <laughs> we got a do and a don't. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Good. All right. Um, on the don't list, I think I would go ahead and try to reduce your technology time. So really start to slowly reduce the tech. So if you check your phone, like put limits on how much you're checking, take off your notifications, go in your thing because ding, Facebook, because that's part, you know, it's the slot machine, dopamine head. It's like ding, ding, ding. And the, it's like when you hear the ding and the notification, boom, that's the dopamine hit right there. Yeah. So my strategy, I don't have Facebook installed on my phone. I actually have to go to the app, which is kind of clunky. Um, and then the second thing is I don't have any notifications. And if I do anything on my phone, I have time limits. Like if I have anything that's time wasting, I have a total of, I think it's like 15 minutes a day and that's it. Um, you gave him a solution. Third one. Um, positive. Uh, let's see here. I think second positive, if that's where we're going. Okay. Negative. Okay. What's the uh, second solution? Okay. All right. So we, I think the, this was the first and now we're at the second. These are the things oh. you should be doing. Pre-COVID. Okay. Right, precursors. Yeah, I think precursors are good. Um, we have a methylation um, B vitamin support that is um, pretty safe. It's good. It's going to methylate. It's going to help. Um, and so a lot of that is going to help to run the pathways. Most people are having trouble with their methylation pathway across the board. I can't see anybody that I've, I can't say that I've seen anybody ever that I've run a test on and been like, every single one of your methylation markers looks great so I'll, i i'll put a product that some of my viewers are perfect mores mores is great for that okay perfect last one on the avoid side you only allow me to have so many um caffeine is a good one to give up wow that's a big one that's a hard God, you're hitting on all the hard ones so, you know my viewers really love you now caffeine. Uh -huh. okay so let, let's say you know here's the thing right um Maybe it's the, even though starting with the level of caffeine, because I mean, I can't even believe how much coffee and caffeine people take multiple ways throughout the day. 
Yeah. Sorry, you cut out for just a second. I missed you there. I was saying how, how much caffeine people are taking in is just extraordinary. I think, I think so. And I think if you can just get it back to one cup of coffee, maybe in the morning, instead of having it all day long, is a really good strategy. I so to, to start to reduce so that you're not constantly burning out that pathway. I've read studies say, you know, one cup of coffee in the morning has a lot of benefits, right? And I always tell people, test your coffee anyway, right? If you take glucose right before, and 30 minutes after, if your glucose is spiking off the chart, okay, coffee's bad for you. Pick tea, do something else, right? Try coffee a different way. But one cup a day, when people start doing caffeine throughout the day, you're headed for neurotransmitter trouble, hormonal trouble, adrenal trouble. I mean, the, the list goes on. So, okay, so there's the three things. And now the final positive, this is what you should do. We had fasting, we had methylation, and the third to do. Meditation is powerful. Meditation increases um, your ability um, for both serotonin and dopamine um, to absorb them into the receptor 65%. Wow. Okay. So that's a big one. Exactly. Um, and, you know, one of the problems here is that uh, these are the people who you said are ADD, don't want to sit still, right? Now. How do you do it? How do we get them, give them some advice? You know, what I did, because I was like, can I, I mean, I'm that person, I get it. Can I check my email while I'm at, how can I multitask this? So I, I totally feel your pain out there. So for me, what I realized was one of the things that I, I feel like I struggled with was um, if I don't feel good at it, I don't tech, I don't tend to do it. And so I didn't feel like I was accomplishing anything meditating. And that's the honest truth. So what I did was I got heart math and I have no affiliation with heart math and they have a sensor on your ear that basically measures when you're just off in la la land, thinking about all the 10 billion things that you have to do that day. And it makes you come back because you can see this hey, you're not in high coherence. You're really focusing on something else. You're not present. And so that's what I needed to really come back to that space. So that's what I did. Good. Okay. So we have the three things to avoid, the three things to do, and you gave tips along the way. And Marie, we couldn't ask for more than that. <laughs> Thank you. I, I do think they should check out your webinar, obviously. We'll, we'll put that link below. Um, but yeah, great topic. You know, this is a massive problem. As you stated, what 90% of the population could be dopamine serotonin deficient. And that in fact changes your life. Not good. And you think you're crazy and you just might be. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. I want to give thanks to one of our sponsors, Cyto Defend. Look at a time like this. I think that our immune system and keeping our immune system up right now is more important than ever. I can also tell you that I pay attention to the things that keep my immune system on par and healthy. So, so glad that Cyto Defend is one of our sponsors here on Cell TV. And it's a product that I use, my family uses, and hopefully you'll check it out. And by the way, you can check it out with the link right here below. If you wanna try a free bottle, you can actually get a free bottle, just pay the shipping. And I think you'll reorder after that, but check it out. 
If you're listening to this podcast and want to access the amazing Cytodefend product Dr. Pompa just mentioned, please visit freeimmunity.com. Again, that's freeimmunity.com. Well, that's it for this week. The materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you would like to purchase some of the supplements mentioned on this show, please visit the site as seen on chtv.com and use the code chtv15 for 15% off. Again, that's as seen on chtv.com. Use the code chtv15 for 15% off. And as always, thanks for listening.